Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is Smart People Podcast. A podcast for smart people, where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Temp here. Thanks for tuning in. In an effort to continue to make this show better, one of the things I'm going to do my best at is condense the intro to get to the goods. So to be concise, our episode this week is for anybody who is unsure of their direction in life, not just career, but in many aspects. If you are, you need to do the same thing that multi-million dollar companies do and create a brief. Now, a company creates what's called a creative brief. But for you, you need to create a life brief. This week on the show, we are interviewing Bonnie Juan. Bonnie is the author of the book, The Life Brief, a playbook for no regrets living. Bonnie is what they call a stud in the advertising industry. She is a partner and the head of brand strategy at Goodby Silverstein and Partners, one of Fast Company's most innovative companies in the world. In fact, I was talking to her around the Super Bowl time and she told me she had multiple ads in the Super Bowl. So Bonnie gets paid by the biggest companies in the world to come in and help them figure out their direction and how to tell people about it. So in this episode, she is going to help you do the same. We're at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Make sure you're subscribed. Tell a friend. Let's get into it. Our episode with Bonnie Wan about her new book, The Life Brief, a playbook for no regrets living. Enjoy. What is a life brief? A life brief is a creative brief for your life. Now, 
I don't know how much people in your audience understand creative briefs, but I'm a brand strategist in advertising. So my job is to help companies distill to the essence of who they are and what they stand for. And often that can be one word, like for Cheetos, they stand for mischief. And so when you understand that word, you see, oh, Chester, the cheetah, and he wears those sunglasses and he's quite mischievous in the world. And that's actually based on a lot of research. But I try to distill down for companies what their essence is so that they can innovate and create from that place. And that essence is what keeps them authentic in the world so that they don't ever fall into the behaviors or words or actions of someone else. That key word there, authentic, is you think about taking your professional world, so with creative briefs, to the life brief, and you make the creative brief so companies can remain authentic. Why do we as people in our lives um, struggle to do the thing that's seemingly most natural or authentic? Because we grow up collecting a lot of other people's voices into our heads and their stories and their views on what success means or what it means to be a good parent, a good leader, a good partner, a good student. And we take all that input and suddenly we, those voices overshadow our own sense of what we've, what we're learning, what we're experiencing, what we think. And so it's important for us to be in relationship with ourselves, to listen, reflect, and start to know when it's our voice and our truth speaking versus, and I really know what my mom, what her voice sounds like in my own head, right? Yes. And you might know your wife's. I do. Well, I was going to say this. You mentioned you have four kids. Is it a struggle for you sometimes to know what you know and have written about what you've written about and then to so perhaps back off of trying to put your needs, wants, desires, goals, aspirations, all that on your children. Absolutely. I did it really intensely at the beginning. I was all about, I'm going to tell you this. This is how it works. This is how you do this. And the more I have um, steeped into the life brief practice and writing the book was really great for me because I had to really break it down, break down the practice into all its nuances. And now I'm the ultimate free range parent. Ah, you got there. You made it. I, I did. I did. And, but I have to say, I, I sit in the luxury role of parenting being the sole breadwinner of our family. So my husband is the lead parent. So he's in it day in and day out in the trenches of parenting. I think it's much harder to play that role and be completely free range. So I have the distance. It's it's easier for me. Yeah, I I, I tend to agree with you. I actually play the the role you play as well. And so I kind of drop in with my, hey, I just learned this on a podcast or something. And my wife goes, great, you can do that now. And I'm like, wait, 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 I can't do this by myself. What are you doing? Exactly. <laughs> I'm a great critic of his parenting, you know? Ex- yes. 
So you mentioned something there, and we're going to get into the life brief. And actually, I'm, I'm extremely curious about your professional career as well. I just think advertising, marketing, all that, it's, it's so sexy, and it's but it's also hidden. Like you throw out the Cheetos and the mischief, and I wonder, whoa, how did they get there? Was it actually mm. that scientific? So we'll get into that. But you talked about by writing the book, it forced you to break down the process. I'm assuming you had done that professionally. So was it just breaking down the process personally, or was it less scientific in your professional world as well? It was both because advertising is as much an art as it is a science. So, so much of what I was doing as a strategist was intuitive because I cut the cloth doing it really young out of university and it was learn as you go through osmosis. You're watching the people ahead of you and you're absorbing, you're uh, trying things on and you're learning the intuition of it. Certainly there are practices, um, research techniques, you know, um, the craft of writing a brief. There are things that are taught, but so much of it is intuition led because it's a creative business. And so it's both art and science. But also when I started applying it to life, I had to test it not only with time, but through situations, all kinds of life experiences to see, does this practice actually pour over in the ways that I suspect that it could? Mm. I was going to ask you that kind of a, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Did you recognize the direct tie from the creative brief to the life brief before you actually went and wrote it? Or was it more of an organic process to make that tie? I had a hunch that what I did for companies was relevant for people. I had that hunch really early on. I was um, still early in my career and it was an idea, but I hadn't lived life. So it was a hunch that didn't really go far because I was single, I hadn't been married, I certainly hadn't become a parent, and I hadn't navigated the trickiest challenges of my career, um, really up-leveling into leadership roles, then running an agency, and you know there was a lot of terrain I had not lived. So 10 years after having that hunch, my marriage was on the brink of breaking up. I had three kids under the age of five. Now I have four. So this was right in the middle of the chaos. They were so young. I was the sole breadwinner. I don't know if it's okay to say this. I was a 24 hour restaurant. You know, I was, I was the cook. I was the housekeeper. I felt like I was playing all the roles and I was pretty sure in my mind that my husband was the problem. Ah, uh. And we spent a lot of our time, probably for a year and a half, debating, arguing, negotiating schedules, comparing who was doing more, critiquing each other. And now in hindsight, I know what was happening for him. He was feeling just criticized that he couldn't do anything right. And the less he the more he stepped away, the more critical I got. And so this dynamic was happening. And as a reflex, so it wasn't an intentional plan, but as a reflex, I dropped into my strategist brain instead of my, you know, angry spouse persona. Um, and that was in a moment of despair. I didn't know what I was going to do. I thought 
the only path out was through separation, divorce. And that was terrifying. So instead, I went to my reflex and I started taking notes. I started writing, which is my process as a strategist. I collect data. I I often don't know when I'm presented with a new industry, new category, new client. I don't know anything about it. We might be learning AI or we might be learning automotive or we might be learning beer. I'm not a beer drinker, but I have to go learn the audience. I have to learn the situation. And so I collect, I start with curiosity, which is what are my biggest questions? Let's start there. And then what's the best way to answer my questions? So in that moment, I asked myself the question, what do I want? What do I really want? And if I could give myself permission to be nakedly honest, so stop listening to my parents and what I think they want for me, stop stepping into my husband, you know, shoes, what does he want or what do my kids need? I just went straight at it. What do I want? And I wrote and I wrote and I let it all gush out. It was a messy ordeal. And so I like to say the the first step is to make meaning of your mess. So first sit in your mess, look at it, distance yourself from it and your emotions. And writing is great for that because once we get it out on the page, it's a separate format. Now you can reread it. And when I dumped, I call it a brain dump. I just dumped one night all the things I wanted. And when I was able to review and reread it, I saw a different story than the one that was in my head because the one in my head was looping. My husband is the problem. He's the blame. He's not doing what he needs to do to pick up his load, do his fair share. And what I saw on the page was what is broken is not our relationship. It's actually my relationship with time. Everything I longed for across the pages in different expressions was a desire for more time and time spent differently. So time, and I I could see that all the ways I was spreading my time thin and having nothing left to give to my marriage. I also saw all the ways I was saying yes to things that I should have been saying no to. And once I had that aha, Suddenly, all of my attention redirected on how to shift and solve for that. And so it redirected my attention instantly away from criticizing my husband and seeing all the things, all the ways that he was wrong and more on how am I spending my time? If I could shift that time, how would I shift it? What would I do differently? And outbirth our first life brief. And when I shared it with him, it was really late at night. I I sent it to him by email and he immediately texted back, Y-E-S, all caps, triple exclamation mark. And that was like giddy. It was the first moment of alignment we had in a long time. And so we jumped on the phone and we started talking about it. It was the conversation starter. And then it also became the North star for how we were going to make some radical changes. This episode is brought to you by rocket money. 
I've always struggled with finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. But now, I use Rocket Money, and it does all of that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with a few taps. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month's, so I can clearly see my spending habits. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com smart. That's rocketmoney.com smart. One last time, rocketmoney.com smart. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I know there's a lot of people listening that can identify with multiple parts of your story. And so I'd like to kind of dance between both, which is your experience and then how we can implement that experience. And one is this idea of time. Now, we'll talk about your your bio in the intro and you know we'll get bits and pieces from you as well. But the short of it is you've reached kind of what some can consider the mountaintop within your industry especially in an industry that's, like I said, kind of sexy. It's not boring. A lot of people want it. The challenge I have is that I have found that most people that make it to the mountaintop have to sacrifice time and then recognize it after the fact. And so there's a little bit of almost survivor bias, right? Which is, look, I got super successful and things were broken and then I mended it. How do we do this if we are still climbing the mountain and we realize I don't love the way things are going, but I still want, I still aspire to more because I'm struggling to see how we can actually balance accomplishment, family, children, joy, health, wellness, all this stuff that's being thrown at us. Well, the funny thing about that is at the time that we wrote that brief, it was 2010. I was just a mid-level group strategy director. I was not at the pinnacle. So everything you see in my bio today was accomplished in the last five, six, seven years. Oh, okay. I love where this is going now. Right? Yeah. So that brief, the name of that life brief was Take Our Time. And words matter in creative briefs because the difference in how you articulate or express 
the, the, the kind of the sharp, sticky tagline for the brief makes all the difference. It's the difference between a meh, not motivating to a fuck yes brief. And so take our time had many meanings. It meant slow down take our time. We got us we're in this hustle culture on the hamster wheel. We got three kids, what matters, right? And so take our time meant that it also meant take back control over our time. I was um yeah, I was a cog in the machine. A beautiful machine. I have I work for an amazing agency, Goodby Silverstein Partners, but it was still a machine. It it was demanding. It was client service. So um, when clients say jump, we ask how high. It doesn't matter what time, if it's a weekend, you know, that's the life we were living. But once we aligned on that brief and we acknowledged our fears of going after that brief, and the first fear was moving, that we might have to move and leave our beautiful community in Northern California to do it. Second fear was lack of money, that if we moved, or had to change jobs that we would then put ourselves in a financial panic. But four months later, so here's what happens when you write a brief that is fuck yes motivating is you can't stop thinking about it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I already been thinking about it just from getting ready for this interview. So I, I can uh, agree with yeah. that. Yeah. So it's, it's so sticky and, 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 and a catalyst that action just becomes the byproduct of your clarity. And so suddenly we were spending our free time, little slivers. I mean, while I'm breastfeeding and nursing, you know, a child to sleep instead of flipping through, thumbing through, um, news feeds or social media, I started to allow my curiosity about where could we live? What kind of school systems could we plug ourselves into? What does community feel like? And my husband was doing the same thing, but in his own way. And four months later, we found our brief in this um, amazing creative community in Portland, Oregon. So really far from San Francisco. But we found the whole combination, the house that would fit our family, um, and everything we needed as a young family within a one block radius, the public school, the grocery store, the pizzeria, the coffee shop, the everything, one block, maybe one and a half. And we could walk instead of shoving these young kids into cars every morning and doing our errands. We could just walk and take the kids with us everywhere we went. And so when we that combination gelled, we jumped at it. Now, it didn't solve the job thing because my job was in San Francisco and I was a rising star in the agency. But because this brief was so urgent and important and vital, and we had aligned around it, that we saw enough parts that we decided we're going to just have faith that a job will show up. And I thought a job outside. I was thinking very traditionally, a, a job in Portland, Oregon would show up. So we went and signed a lease. We paid the first month and the last month rent. So this was a rental. 
And we hadn't even seen the inside of the house, but we were so convinced that this was the combination we needed that fulfilled our life brief. And then I went into the agency and I spoke to the president. I said, I love this place. It's my home, but I have to put my family first and I'm giving you my resignation because I'm moving to Portland, Oregon. And he didn't bat an eye. And he said, oh, okay, but why do you have to quit? This is 10 years before 2020. So I was going to say, this wasn't normal at the time. Yeah. No, we didn't even have a word for this, you know? And he said, um, why don't you do your job from Portland, Oregon? And when that stops working, if it doesn't work, you and I will both know and you can quit then. But why don't we try it? And I thought, how fantastic. Yeah, that's the best of both worlds right there. Yeah, so I th- and, and in my mind, I was small thinking. I thought, okay, this will just give us a financial bridge until we make this transition, and then I will look for work. And what ended up happening is I got a four-day week. It was working. I put more energy into yep. my job. Yep, yep. Right? My yep. commute was up the stairs. I could walk my kids to school come home one block, run up the stairs with my coffee and get to work. And I was madly throwing myself into my work. And after six years of doing that, we had our fourth child. The agency decided to make me a partner and head of strategy and moved us back to the Bay Area and giving us the ability to live that same lifestyle back in California, which we weren't able to do at that time. So my answer, that was the longest answer to your question, is that by living the brief, by chasing the brief, by fulfilling it, is what took me to the pinnacle of the mountain. Yeah. If you didn't kind of sum it up like that, I was going to sum it up similarly, which is what I like about the story and the example is... By doing the thing that felt right or you were compelled to do based on your own truth instead of the external truth that a lot of people force on us, I think you actually show up in a way that is going to make you more of what you want to become. You know what I mean? And, Absolutely. And, and, and let's just play a hypothetical. Let's imagine you went into your company and your boss said, yeah, if you move to Portland, you're out. Right. Let's just imagine that knowing what you know now, what do you think would have happened? Well, we had already decided we knew that that was one of the two fears that would come up. And my husband and I had already aligned on we were willing to face those fears and we were going to hold each other. Um, if either of one of us started to crumble or, you know, um, hesitate because of one of those fears, the other the other partner's job was to pick it, pick them up, remind them that we're going to go for it anyways. So we already kind of went to the worst case scenario. So before I went in to quit, I didn't go in with hopes or expectations. It became a surprise, a wild, wonderful surprise and serendipity that my agency president was going to, you know, meet me where I was, but I walked in with conviction. I was ready. I knew in my heart that I was willing to brave that scenario or that consequence. And so that was predetermined. Yeah. You know, if I'm listening right now, I'm probably going, okay, it kind of sounds like, you know, live 
uh, with purpose, live with intent, clarify my goals and my aspirations. Nothing I haven't heard. I think what the reason your work resonates with people is because it is tactical. It is tangible. It's also real. So let's start with, you know, if somebody's listening, what are the things that you think should trigger somebody to seriously consider writing a life brief? Obviously, my story started with despair, but you don't have to go into, you don't have to hit bottom to write a life brief. In fact, I have a lot of people who are just um, creatively minded or they're just a little bit confused. They're not sure about something and they want a process or a practice is what I call it to just help them help walk them through the thinking to get to clarity because that's ultimately what it is. You, you said the word clarity and that's what this practice is. It is designed to unlock your clarity about what matters most to you and what you want in that part of your life that matters most. And when you have clarity, your actions really start to work efficiently because you're not all over the place. You're not going by habit. A lot of us sleepwalk through our lives or we're so afraid of what might be out there that we stick to something that we know doesn't make us happy, is really uncomfortable, um, but we know it. We understand it. So this is a this is a practice that propels you out of that because it invites you into your own mess of reflection, helps you generate all of the ingredients that then you can mold into clarity and then try to act on it in small, safe, but continuous ways. And when you start to just shift how you show up, what you say, what you do, it starts to invite everybody around you to also shift. And you start to see change unfold, not always dramatically, but compellingly. Mm. So if I'm, you know, sitting here and I think, okay, I want clarity. And we talked about our mess. What do I do? You know, cause I'm imagining I don't just sit down, pull out a piece of paper and just write, like, here's all the things that are wrong with my life. That feels messy. And this no. is what I love about what you have, right? It's, it's the equivalent of going into the largest companies in the world and asking them questions. Like what questions should we ask ourselves initially? The driving question, the shortcut question, I call it the penetrating question is what do you want, Chris? So take a gripping top of mind part of your life. So we all have something that's gripping or gnawing or itching at mm -hmm. us. I love right? the gnawing word, by the way. I love that. Yep. It, it, it comes up when we're doing the laundry or going for a run, we're walking the dog and it, boom, there it is. We're not watching anything. We're not distracted. We're not sucked into some other drama or piece of content. It just surfaces. That's when you have a signal that this part of your life requires some attention. It's an invitation from within yourself that, hey, come take a look at me. And I find the answers we seek lie behind the questions we avoid. So we have questions coming up all the time, but we bat them down. We push them away. You know, we suppress them because we don't want to go there. It's scary. So take that those and identify an area and then ask, what do you want? 
Now let's add a layer to that. In your heart of hearts, Chris, what do you really want? Let's add another layer to that. In your heart of hearts, what do you really want in this part of your life, in this relationship that you haven't allowed yourself to admit yet? Now write. Write without a filter, without editing. Allow it to be messy. Allow whatever comes up to come out onto the page because this is a private practice. No one's going to read it. But write for five minutes and don't take the pen off the page until you're done. So we start with a couple of key ingredients. Now, you don't have to use that question. I do invite you to write, though. You can record if you are an oral person. You can record. But it's the same practice. Fundamentally, you're tapping into your curiosity. You're not jumping to assumptions, conclusions, or answers. You're allowing yourself to answer a question with naked honesty. So you're practicing giving yourself permission to speak to yourself without editing. And then you're capturing it so that you can revisit it later when your emotions have settled down. Uh, somebody gave me a quote recently, write hot, edit cold. Ah, I like that. That's kind of this practice. You know, you're writing hot. You're letting it all out. But then you set it aside. You've parked it. You've captured it. Now do that for seven days in a row. Five minutes each day, seven days. Now come visit it cold with curiosity. See what it's telling you. And I guarantee you're going to see things in there that don't align with what your head's been telling you. I get this all the time. People say, I don't know what I want. I really don't. I tell all my friends, I don't know what I want. I don't know what in this space. And then they do this brain dump for seven days and they say, wow, I goddamn know what I want. It came out every day in a different set of words, in a different way. In a, but I am so clear about what I want. And then it, when, I like what you're saying there. When you compare it, you'll likely notice patterns that are somewhat tangentially related. So That's for right. you, it was time. It might have been one day it showed up in, I want to be with my kids. And another day it was, I want to be able to walk. But ultimately, it was the reason I can is because time. And you can kind of capture that main idea, I'm assuming. That's exactly it. Because okay. strategists are looking for patterns, looking for themes across data sets. We're also looking for what's not being said, but it is energetically being communicated. We're also looking to connect the dots between different elements. But you can't do that if it's just swimming in your head. Because our heads can, our minds can only hold so much. So by getting it out onto the page, you get to see it from a distance. You get to then ask more questions about it. You also get to sort and separate it. 
right? You can see, oh, that was, oh, I know I was pissed that day. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I yeah. know what was happening then, but that's not the theme that is pervasive across time. It's actually these other things. Now let's get rid of that and let's stay with this bucket of sacred, non-negotiable goosebump inducing stuff. And now that becomes the clay for clarity. I then want to know, what do you tell people when they inevitably experience the number one thing that I found is going to crush all of our hopes and dreams, which is fear? Mm. Because you said something that I pulled this from your book and I thought, you know, everybody does this. I don't necessarily know why. You said, what could my life look like if I stopped dictating what was unrealistic or impossible before I'd even tried it? Yeah, that's the editor. That's our self-protecting editor, right? Um, and those are the narratives that I, the, the getting messy part of this book aims for you to name. Because once you name those stories, you get to see how they operate and hold you back but you have to name it first. And so often we're just, fear is a feeling. And when it comes up, we have an automatic response to that feeling. But when we name our fears, suddenly they take on a character. They have a different existence. I can now name this feeling that's coming up. So now that I name its feeling, this feeling, I can also see all the ways it has ripple effects in my response. Oh, when this feeling comes up, I start to people please, or I start to lower my worth, or I start to um, move into action with nervousness. You know, it it starts to have, it induces a relationship again with ourselves where you start to be aware of your response to certain feelings, stories, or circumstances. And when you are aware, then you can change and rewrite your response. I have to tell you, I, I think that that statement, when you're aware, is, is really important. And I don't know if people listening, that can just pass over your shoulders as a benign statement. But I got to tell you something. We had a guest recently who talked a lot about the energy of emotions. And as soon as I talked to her, I, I just couldn't get the thought out of my mind. So I hired her as like a coach slash therapist, whatever. And so... We were talking for a couple of weeks and this decision came to me that I didn't want to do. And she was like, well, are you going to do it? And I said, no. And she's like, but don't you feel like you should? And I was like, uh, not really. And she said, good. That is the direction we want to move. And I said, why? She said, because you're trusting the feeling inside your body instead of the logic inside your mind which is where you tend to live most. And I'm equating it to what you're talking about here, which is, I think a lot of the life brief is to peel back the layers of false safety almost that we put over our actual dreams and aspirations. But it's an actual energy you can feel. And if you can tap into that, it could be through writing or all these things. 
you start to almost call it intuition, trust the decision-making process, trust the thing that comes to the forefront. I love the way you sum it up. It's exactly that. So I say there's knowledge, which is our minds, right? It's the logic that she's talking about. It's the data points, the facts, it's the things, you know, we um, absorb and learn and memorize. And then there's the knowing. And that's what we're tapping into with this practice. The knowing, which is your intuition, it is your truth, it is that higher mechanism that we we kind of in our popular culture just dismiss. That's what I was going to say. Now, I do want to ask, do you think that you are more able to bring that forward given that I would imagine people often pay you to try to bring that out of them? Like, I imagine you go into these executives who say, we want this campaign or we want people to know this, and they're living in their logic floor. They're just living mm -hmm. in their brain and they kind of know it. But they don't know how to get out. So they say, if I bring Bonnie in, maybe she can pull out the honest portion. And so they're actually paying you to do the thing that very few of us get paid to do, which is feel. <laughs> I am a therapist for the C-suite. Ah, there you go. I love it. So I don't have the therapist name and people feel more comfortable when you call it strategy. Right? Yes. Yes. Because it's more business forward. But what I'm listening for is when I do stakeholder interviews or I have one-on-one -on -one meetings and I'm asking about what's your vision? What's getting in the way of that vision? What's happening? A lot of how people speak, especially leaders, they're speaking from that place of wisdom, but they're expected to deliver evidence in data points. So what I'm trying to do is I'm practice deep listening, just like this woman you hired to coach or you know be your therapist. I'm listening for the connections. I'm listening for the contradictions, and I'm using questions to unpack the layers, right? Which is exactly what I've designed in the life brief to do in a book form. But as I'm unpacking the layers, I'm getting deeper into that wisdom of the leader. And then I interview the rest of the leaders and I look at where their wisdoms come together. And that's what a company is, right? It's the aggregate of the leaders where they align. Now, they each have different roles, so of course they're going to have a different perspective, but I'm looking for the connective tissue that brings together that company's vision and ambition, and then that's where I write from, that shared place of connected vision. And when I pull that out, then I use the data points to support that essence. And a lot of the data points also tell me stories. So it's not that I'm just listening qualitatively and then add quant to it, but I know the language of business is through data and hard evidence, but the juicy stuff lies in the wisdom of the leaders, the wisdom of the audience, the wisdom of the competition. And that's why it's an art and a science. But I always have to tell the story to the shareholders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. With yeah. the knowledge. That makes sense. What is something that when you do it with companies or clients, you find easy, but when you had to turn the mirror on yourself, you found surprisingly more difficult? 
it's easy to have the safety of perspective. That's why agencies or companies hire agencies. Yes. Because we're not deep in the emotional trenches of the high stakes situations. We can step back and take a bird's eye view. People in companies are so entrenched in how the company operates, the political capital, how they move their, you know, their piece of the business through the, you know, the labyrinth. We as an agency get to step back and talk to the audience, look at the competition, look and think blue sky. So we're going to bring more what if and possibility to the situation and we can read between the lines because of that distance. When you're doing your own life brief, you are in the trenches. You are in the emotional chaos. It is high stakes all the time. That's why the writing practice is one way to distance yourself, right? To create that emotional distance so you can have curiosity and perspective on your own life. There's also a chapter with an exercise that um, invites you to inter interview your fans. So the people most who are closest to you, not just close, but they're invested in your growth. And you're asking them a very specific set of questions. So you're not asking for advice or opinions or what to do, but you're asking them to give their perspective on what they observe about you when you are at your best, at your peak. And then what cripples you, what drains you, what depletes you. And that those data points help give you some perspective in addition to your own writing. I got to tell you, Bonnie, you know, I, I tend to be a skeptic. And so I'm saying this for skeptics out there, which is this. If you're listening right now and going, I don't know, I've tried this before. I don't know if you've tried it right. Because there's a couple of things you've said that I've done that have worked that I want to highlight. And one is when you write, write without bounds. Is that fair in your assumption? That's what it means. Permission to be nakedly honest. And what have you found is the beauty in that or the usefulness for the logical person? Okay. For the logical person. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it gives you, again, I, maybe I'm saying the same things on repeat, but it gives you insight into yourself when you let it all out when you're not filtering and just giving a narrow passageway for part of you you're expanding and stretching your own muscles for self-acceptance i i ask because i don't want to be the one i don't want to color your expertise, but I did a, a very similar exercise. It was prompted by a coach. This was about seven years ago. And I remember she said, write down what you want. And I was like, what? Like, I'm, you know, mid thirties. I know what I want. She was like, write it down. I was like, okay. She was like, but no filters, no second guessing, no boundaries. You know, if you say you want to make a lot of money, say how much money, but don't, when you write it, don't say, Ooh, is that too much? So I wrote this thing. And I sat, I remember the couch I was sitting on and I closed my eyes and I pictured what I want my future to look like. And what I saw, I still have the image, was a couch up against a massive window and there were three kids on it. And there was a fireplace off to the right and there were trees in the background. And that's what I saw. I don't know why. And then the, the, 
story built from there. At the time, I lived in a tiny townhouse. I had two little kids. I liked my job, but I didn't see where, how I was going to get to this dream house that I wanted. And we definitely weren't having another kid. Fast forward five, six years later, and I kid you not, I'm in that house. We had a surprise third kid and we have this window looking into the trees and the way that it happened was a series of both intentional decisions and very chance-like things. I don't know if I've ever told that story before. If I have, it's not been that many times. But my point in that is, is it's kind of, it was like freakishly magic. And so I know this, I know the stuff you're talking about works. And why I want to talk to you is because I think you bring that tactical nature or that, that the tactics, right, that stem from a professional skill set, which I think for some adds a level of credibility that they need to say, fine, I'll give it a try. It's exactly that. And there's no better person to help skeptics overcome their skepticism than another skeptic. So yeah. you just did that so beautifully. Well, it's because I, I believe and I've seen what it's done. So um, I know we got to let you go here in a minute. I had a couple more questions. So let's just imagine, because I don't want to leave them with just that. They go through that exercise. They get messy. What would be your, uh, what's the favorite next step they can take when they've written it out? They feel like they bared their soul. They're looking at their dreams, aspirations, and they say the question, which most people say, I can't do that. I have no idea how to make that happen. Well, before you go there, because that, that voice is going to come up all the way through this process, right? That voice is usually the one that's the loudest in, in all of us. So that's okay. You can just park that voice. You can be in relationship with it and you don't have to feel bad about having it. But before you get to the action part, get, write it, write that vision to that fuck yes place. Like really write it, push it. I ask people to write it three times. Get to the place where every time you read it back to yourself, you're like, mm, yeah, yeah, that's what I want, right? Because that's the propeller that's going to automate your action. You won't even know it because it's now in your bloodstream. That couch and that window and those three adorable kids are imprinted into your system. And once imprinted, you automatically shift how you show up, what decisions, where you spend your time, what you're going for. It is a propeller. It's an engine. So it makes action, even if you're still skeptical, even if you have doubt, that's okay. That's normal. We're human. It will propel you through that doubt and it becomes effortless or inexcusable or what I hope irresistible to make a different set of choices. And I mean, tiny choices. I don't mean go and sell your house and get divorced or put your dog up for adoption. I'm not talking about those kinds of leaps. I'm saying, okay, well, where are you going to put your attention now? You have 10 minutes of free time. How are you going to spend it? Oh, well, I was curious to find out what schools exist X or what neighborhoods might have that kind of house in my budget or what does it take 
to get a loan. I don't even know. You, you start chasing your curiosity. And so it doesn't become hard or laborious or complicated. I'm reminded of this. Uh, there's this part of the brain called the, I think it's called the reticulated, reticular activated system, the RAS, the RAS. And it's the, it's the part of your brain that like, you know how, if you buy a new car, you then start seeing that car all over the road. Yes. You know, um, yes. it's, it's that your, it but that. you are intentionally targeting it instead of where we started, which is your, in the entirety of your life, all of the decisions and the societal norms and the worries and the safety and the evolutionary bias towards risk aversion is coloring it you know, normally. Now you're coloring it. Now you're the one. exactly that. And if you don't take that clarity piece to a fuck yes, then you're going to forget it. It's going to be just another tool that you tried that didn't go anywhere. But if you can activate that RAS. That's so cool. Then you're off. And I like the, the, you know, going back to the power, the energy of that emotion. I completely agree. It has to be at a level where it you know, it'll, it'll spur you forward, um, to your point, even when you're not, you're not meaning to Bonnie, I I absolutely love it. And for those listening, you know, I always try to give enough where if people just listen and go no further than that, they have enough to get started, but we covered, I don't know what the first 20% of what you talk about in the life brief, maybe. Yeah. We covered more than that in terms of the practice. Okay. Yeah. What is rich in the book are all the stories of how it got applied each step. And I think that colors in the rest and it brings that emotional raz inducing feeling. I love it. So the book is The Life Brief, A Creative Practice for No Regrets Living. Bonnie, uh, where else would you like listeners of the show to go or be aware of? Is your website, socials, where are you most active? Well, the website is thelifebrief.com. And my socials um, on Instagram is Official. All right. I love it. Bonnie, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Chris. That was so much fun. A thank you to this week's guest, Bonnie Wan. The episode was hosted, as always, by Chris Stemp and produced by yours truly, John Rojas. Bonnie's book, The Life Brief, a playbook for no regrets living, is available wherever books are sold. And now let's jump into the quick housekeeping items. If you'd ever like to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. And to stay up to date with all things Smart People Podcast, head over to the website smartpeoplepodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter. All right, that's it for us this week. Make sure you stay tuned because we've got a lot of great interviews coming up and we'll see you all next episode.